And once again, a warm hearty good morning from our studios here in Kilner Park in Pretoria, Brumpent, where we tackle contentious issues that affect our Christian world. The topic for discussion this morning, we need to take hell a lot more serious. So many dying all over the world. What happens to us at the moment of death when our souls disconnect with our bodies? What happens when the souls transition into being spirits without a brain and nervous system? What happens when the choosing mechanism of our will is stripped naked and is no longer tied to any material organism, no longer slowed down by psychological processes or biased by genetic and environmental factors? Christianity is always taught that at the moment of death, the human soul undergoes judgment on all the actions it has ever taken in its earthly existence. The whole notion of judgment presupposes that we pass the moment of death, we no longer have the ability to influence our fate, to make a choice for or against God, to say yes or no to grace to do good or evil, or to have faith or not to have faith in Christ Jesus. All our power to alter our actions and decisions has come to an end. The time of testing is over. Essentially, our body-choosing clock has stopped. At the moment of death, with the body gone, all that is left is the intellect and the will that constitutes the soul. When that soul is separated from the physical mechanism to which it's been united for so long, it is no longer able to reverse the course. At the moment of death, the soul will become immobile and fix it itself forever in its final choice, either for or against God. You might say like a tree that's fallen in the forest. Wherever it hits the ground, it will stay. To make this point even more clear, let's take a close-up look at the soul of someone who actually goes to hell. A person who continuously refuses God's grace and chooses instead to fester in evil is one who will increasingly and inevitably take on the hellish qualities of the devil and his demons. He will continuously choose to lie, to accuse, to detract, to be selfish, to pridefully take offense to engage in cynicism, hopelessness, and a general rebellion against joy and life and God's divine plan. And as his capacity for evil becomes greater with every unrepented sin, so his hidden soul becomes more soiled. If confronted with the truth about himself, this person will invariably express denial and outrage, and flatly refuse to accept responsibility or recognize the need to change. On the outside, this person might be able to hide the truth and even successfully fool others in believing that he is good. He may camouflage his cold black soul with a pretty, pleasant, and affable exterior. He might even mask his true selfishness with attention-getting acts of generosity. But God knows better. God sees the inside of that person and knows how hypocritical and twisted and dark his soul has actually become. Now, what happens to a person like that at the moment of death? What happens to this person's obstinately evil soul? Some people believe that just before the soul separates from the body, even perhaps milliseconds before death, even if the person is unconscious, 
God gives one last chance, one final infusion of grace in the hope that it will turn around in faith and repentance. Somehow, some way, God gives every person, every human being, the chance to repent, just as he offers every person the gift of faith. Whether that chance or that gift is accepted is totally up to the individual. Stay with us as we here at Brampunt look at the reality of hell and that we should take it a lot more serious. Well, we're back in the program called Brampunt and uh, I have the privilege of introducing the Reverend David De Bruyne, well-known speaker here on Radio Pulpit, to share with us his heart on a topic of discussion this morning. David, a warm-hearted good morning to you and welcome. Can I start with the first question? Where does the concept of hell come from? Is it a religious thing, if I may call it that? Or where does this whole concept come from? Yeah, Venant, the concept of hell is certainly a religious concept. It's not restricted to Christianity, uh, some form of idea of uh, punishment or justice beyond this life is found in many religions, uh, pagan, eastern, western. So uh, generally, people have understood that some kind of justice extends beyond this life. Indeed, people have realized if there isn't justice beyond this life, then there's a profound injustice because many people do go to the grave having done great evil and apparently having died in soft beds and in luxury. So it is very much almost an impulse or an intuition in human beings that justice goes beyond this life. But having said that, it's firmly rooted in the scriptures and taught in the Old and New Testament. So on the topic of hell, do we know what happens to our bodies at that moment of death? What happened to our spirits when our souls disconnect from our bodies? Well, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord as a believer. The Lord Jesus said something similar to the thief on the cross when he said, Verily, today you will be with me in paradise, even though he understood that he would be bodily rising three days later. So there is, there is a disembodied state in which our soul, spirit, is in the presence of God, uh, awaiting the resurrection. And uh, similarly, there is, according to Jesus' account of the rich man and Lazarus, there is also the soul spirit finding itself in hell, uh, being in torments, being separated from God immediately after death. So this doesn't await the final resurrection, though that will take place as well. But immediately after death, a soul goes to judgment and is, uh, is judged upon whether or not they have the merits of Christ, God's perfect righteousness upon them or not. And, uh, and that then becomes their uh, their sentence, their destination. Yeah. So, David, our topic for discussion is that we, uh, people in this world, the living, needs to take hell a lot more serious. Uh, what does the Bible say about hell? Is it is it a real place? The Bible definitely describes hell as a real place. The Lord Jesus spoke about it more often than he did the topic of heaven. He was continually warning people about it. And the Bible speaks of hell by really giving us three images. The first image is the image of banishment, that it's a place of being exiled. It's a place of shame and outer darkness, of essentially being cast out 
from the center of God's glory and, and beauty. The second image is one of retribution, that there is actually punishment. Uh, in fact, you don't have justice without judgment, and you don't have judgment without retribution. And retribution means that evil receives uh, a sentence fitting for its crime. And uh, and so hell is not rehabilitation. It's not trying to recondition the sinner. It is retribution. And that's the many scriptures that talk about hell as being punishment. And the third image is the image of death. Uh, and that is very often hell is described as a place of destruction, a place of full separation, something that is now cut off from God and from beauty and from life. And those three images are used interchangeably to help us to understand what this terrifying place and state of being is. Absolutely frightening the way you describe it as it is described in the Bible. Does the Bible say, is hell eternal? And, and, And what does that mean when we say, yes, it is eternal? What does the Bible say? Yes, without fail, the Bible speaks of this as eternal destruction, as uh, the fire that does not cease to burn, where the worm does not die. And and so it it does continually speak of this as eternal. In the book of Revelation, uh, it speaks of eternal torment. So it does speak of it as eternal. And part of the reason for that is because the people and beings that are being sent there, that hell it was created for the devil and his angels in the first place, but then it's secondarily for those who reject God. Those beings, angels and humans, are eternal by nature. Uh, the Bible doesn't teach a conditional immortality. It teaches that we were made in the image of God, and being made in the image of God, our souls and spirits are his breath. Yeah. We, we cannot perish um, eternally. And therefore, wherever we are sent, we will be. Uh, we will either exist forever in the presence of God or exist forever outside of his presence. Yeah, yeah. So we, we cannot really stomach the idea as much as it seems more palatable. and We might want the, the, it to be true that God would snuff us out or that he would simply not grant immortality. There just isn't enough scripture to support that notion. Yeah, yeah. David, do we have any idea of where hell is? I know the Bible says that this earth, uh, heaven and earth, will cease to exist. And a lot of people refer to hell as down under. Do we have any idea of, of where this hell is? No, we don't have a clear idea, and we also have to differentiate between two places. In Scripture, we have Hades, or Sheol, which is the place of the dead, and that is really where the the unsaved go at this point. Uh, But then we have, in the book of Revelation, Gehenna, the lake of fire, which is presently unoccupied and will only be occupied after the great white throne judgment. So, even so, we don't know where these places are. They are places, but when we begin to talk about places that have to do with the extra dimensions of heaven and hell, um, it's it's speculative to begin to say, well, they're under the earth, or in a, they're in this place or that yeah. place. What we know is, since we are spatio-temporal beings that live in time and space, we will experience heaven or hell as places, not just as states of being. A a frightening question, and I have to ask you this. What is your understanding? Is it true that the Bible says that the majority of people on the earth are on their way to hell, David? Well, Vainan, the Bible never gives us a 
kind of head count of uh, exactly who's going where. Uh, Jesus did say that broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be on that road, and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. So if we take that, we have a sense that um, the gospel is not something that the broad majority chooses. But having said that, as to the final head count, we really can't make any judgment there, because we also have the whole matter of infants and, uh, and the mentally retarded, whom I believe, along with many others, that God's sovereign grace covers and allows them to go to heaven based upon the blood of Christ, even though they can't yet believe. And that would, of course, include millions, if not billions, of individuals who would be in heaven by the sovereign grace of God. So in terms of a final headcount, we just can't say. Yeah. What, what we need to focus on is, you know, what am I doing with the time that's allotted to me? Right. Okay, so when you die, can we say then that the time of testing is over? Your bodily choosing clock has stopped. Now, there are some people that say, I can still change my mind after I died about my eternal destination. Any truth in that? No, because we have two scriptures that really, you know, knock that one down. One is Hebrews 9.27, which says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. So judgment comes right after death. The second scripture is Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Um, if anything, that rich man, once he was in torments, would have changed his mind and said, I, I want to get out of here. But we notice he never asks Abraham for his own salvation. He asks Abraham to send some messengers to his brothers so that they don't come here too. And, and that only makes sense if that selfish man understood Look, there's no ways I can get out, but at least I can prevent those that I love from coming here. Yeah. And I think this adds up to a fairly clear understanding that once we die, the decision is made. Uh, God is not going to now say, well, what do you think now? Um, that we just don't have evidence for that. So there is an understanding amongst certain religions that I can still pray my loved one's soul out of hell into heaven. If, if that's the place where I end up, that they can pray my soul out of hell into heaven. Any truth in that? Any scriptural truth in that? There's nothing in the 66 books that make uh, up the, the canon of Scripture that ever speaks of us praying uh, for the dead and asking uh, that the Lord would save the dead or take them out of hell. And again, that what that assumes is more of a rehabilitatory uh, approach to hell, yeah. that hell is kind of uh, a place where my sins are slowly being purged from me, and uh, you know we could speed that process up. But that's just unbiblical, because at the end of the day, your sins are either paid for by someone else, who is Jesus Christ, who said on the cross, it is finished, or they are not paid for. Uh, you can't go to hell with your sins half paid for, or being paid for. Uh, you either owe God an infinite debt, which is now paid for over an infinite period of time, or that infinite debt was paid for by an infinite person, during a finite period of time, three hours on the cross. Those are your choices. So praying for somebody, if they have not accepted that payment on their behalf, is really not going to 
make any difference. Yeah, yeah. David, thank you so much for your answer. Certainly no headcount, and we have no right to do a headcount on who will be going to hell. But uh, allow me to ask you this. How will I know if I'm on my way to hell now? Who will be going? What does the Bible say? Does the Bible give us any idea who, who are the people that will be ending up in hell? Yeah, the Bible has many lists of verses which describe those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, Galatians 5, 18 to 19, uh, Revelation chapter 20 sums it up by saying, whoever was not written in the Lamb's book of life. What it comes down to, if we combine all those scriptures, is this. To offend God is to offend an infinite being. And therefore, the magnitude of the offense becomes infinite. Uh, as Anselm said in the in the 11th century, if you sin against a soldier, it's one thing. If you sin against a judge, it's a greater thing. If you sin against a king, it's an even greater thing. And so it is to sin against the king of kings. It then doesn't really matter how much you've sinned or what the magnitude of the sin was in your own eyes or even how you compare yourself to another sinner. What makes the difference is that you've now offended the most important person in reality, and that is God. If you have offended God and no satisfaction has been made, no payment has been made on your behalf, and God is not reconciled to you by his own means, then you are amongst those on their way to hell, because God is not going to overlook what his justice demands. So we're not talking about some category of heinous sinners, genocidal maniacs, and Hitlers and Stalins. We're talking about image bearers that continue to offend their creator by not giving him glory and living in good relationship with him through Jesus Christ. That is is the bottom line, is that punishment comes to those who, according to Romans 1, are not thankful, they don't honor and love God, and that's all of us until such time as we believe and trust in God's provision on our behalf. What about those listening to this program and say, well, I, I point blankly refuse to choose. I don't want to go to heaven and I don't want to go to hell. I believe in absolutely nada, nothing after death. What would you say to them? Well, you can choose what you want to believe, but you can't choose what is true. Um, so you can bang your head against reality and headbutt the wall, but it's not necessarily going to move. I can say, look, I'd prefer gravity to be sideways. I don't like the up and down choice. But that doesn't really change what is. If we are made in God's image and live on God's earth, then the destinations past our lives are destinations that he made. It's his presence or exile from his presence. I don't get to come up with a third or fourth or fifth option. I find myself in this world by his permission. I didn't will myself into existence. And so finding myself in this world by his permission and by his choice, I must reconcile myself with what is. And scripture teaches very clearly that these are the destinations. David, there are those who say, well, Christianity in itself is a contradiction in terms. It's like an oxymoron because how can a loving God condemn literally millions to hell for all eternity? As you've just stated, hell is for all eternity. It just doesn't make sense. Who wants to follow a God like that? What will you say to that individual? 
Well, there's a few answers. One answer is to say that you too have a judicial sentiment in your heart. That is, when you see great evil having been done, you wish it to be punished. If you hear about the torture of a child or the, the savage treatment of some people or some violent genocidal rapes and killings, we, we want justice on those people and we cry out for that. Well, what if you are not just a human with a sin nature, but a holy God with no sin? The cry in your heart for justice would be infinite. And so on one level, we can say we know that there should be and must be punishment that fits the crime. Secondly, and leading into that, is the fact that the Bible does teach there are different degrees of punishment in hell. Not everyone is punished uh, in the same way. Jesus speaks of the servant who knew his master's will, who will be beaten with more stripes than the one who did not know his master's will. So we can imagine and understand that the experience of hell is not just one thing across uh, for everyone. Uh, And thirdly, we have to trust as well to the mercy of God. That very sentiment in our heart that says, look, this is unfair or this seems disproportionate. Again, we must ask, where did we get our sense of justice or proportion or mercy from? We got this from God. Well, can we not then trust the judge of all the earth to do right? Can we not trust that he is more merciful than we, kinder and more compassionate and knows exactly what he's doing with his creation? So at that point, we have to sort of lower our eyes a little bit and say, We know what Scripture says. We trust God to be just and righteous. Uh, We trust that whoever goes there deserves to be there in God's sight. And therefore, instead of worrying about, you know, who should be there or how long will they be there, we again need to look at our own court and our own situation and say, where am I in terms of God? Yeah. In this materialistic world that we find ourselves in, where our senses are numbed by the noise around us, should I take hell and its existence serious, David? You should take it as seriously as God takes it. And God has shown you how seriously he takes it by sending his son to die on the cross. Jesus would not have died on the cross if there were no hell. Because hell, the essence of hell, was experienced by Jesus on the cross. There for three hours, he experienced banishment from his father. He experienced retribution from God. And he experienced death. And he experienced that on behalf of people so that we would not have to go to hell. If God has taken it that seriously and said, I will give up him who is most precious to me, my son, that you should not have to experience the edge of my sword and the flame of my wrath. How much seriously should we take this? We should acknowledge that God is desperately serious about judgment, justice, and righteousness. And so should we be. To him or her listening to this program now, saying, David, how do I avoid this horrendous place? What can I do? What must I do to be saved from ending up in this terrible place that you've spoken about? What would you say to him or her? My answer would be to say, first of all, understand this is a lot more than location. It's not about spiritual geography of where will you go. It's about a person. And that person is your creator. Your creator is justly offended when he has filled your life with gifts and you've not acknowledged or thanked or loved him. 
And because of that, he is outraged that he gave you life and you squandered it and broke his commandments. And should you continue in that path with him continually giving you blessings, you will finally end up in a place where he will show you your just sentence and send you away into exile, into punishment, into retribution. But he also loves you as his creature and wants you to know him. He doesn't just want you to go to an eternal retirement place called heaven. He wants you to be in communion with him and in fellowship with him. So if you will turn from your independence and turn from living for yourself and come to the creator through his son, Jesus Christ, and believe on him and accept his provision for you on the cross and ask for a new life and a new start, he will forgive you. He will grant you eternal life and welcome you home when you die. That's the good news of the Bible. That's the gospel for every man, woman, and child. Never again can you say, I did not hear, I did not know. Never again can you use it as an excuse. David, thank you so much for sharing also the way to life through Christ Jesus and sharing with us on the scriptural truth of this horrendous place that we should take very serious this morning, a destination called hell. With that, thank you so much for chatting to us. Thank you.